Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And you know how I'm always saying on this podcast that we're all different and we all have different ways of feeling good and feeling healthier, but that the common denominator for most of us is less or no sugar, and for a lot of us, less or no flour. But apart from that, I've had guests on this show who are all the way from 100% carnivore to 100% vegan and everything in between. So the one-size-fits-all approach, well, let's just say it doesn't sit well with me. And today my guest is Chef AJ, who is a popular vegan chef and author and who also has a weight loss program called the Ultimate Weight Loss Program. And she is a self-described former food addict who turned her life around in her 20s and shifted her diet to a whole food, plant-based diet with minimally processed foods. In today's episode, she tells about her difficulties with food addiction and how she managed to get help so that she can help other people. Here's our chat. All right, so Chef AJ, or just AJ, (laughs) um, it's great to meet you. And can you tell me a little bit about what your life was like when you were still consuming sugar and you said, you know, you weren't that happy of a person? (laughs) You know, sometimes it takes getting off the drug to really feel the difference because I think when you're in the throes of addiction you're like well this isn't so bad because it's what you're used to you know what I'm saying it's sort of like if you've been driving a beat up old car it's better than not having a car but then when you get a new car you're like whoa what a difference and I think it's it's like getting a new car that feeling the new car smell it's just it's unparalleled so when I was in the throes of addiction which really was the first 43 years of my life if I'm going to be honest to sugar sugar and caffeine specifically it seemed normal to me. And it's bizarre that when I look back that nobody ever said that this is weird, that a 43-year-old woman has to go to 7-Eleven and get a Coke Slurpee for breakfast with eight pumps of vanilla syrup before she can even open her eyes, you know, because as you know, we we chatted a little bit before the podcast that medical, the medical profession barely acknowledges food addiction and sugar addiction. And thank God for people like Dr. Vera Tarman who do. So what my life was like is I was fat and sick. Literally, I weighed close to 200 pounds. I'm only like five, 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 six. And I actually started getting a disease, a very serious disease. I had what they call pre-colon cancer. Now I've been vegan for 44 years. And so it wasn't because I was eating meat or cheese or anything like that, but I wasn't eating food. I wasn't eating fruits or vegetables or anything that resembled food really until I was about 43 years old and got this diagnosis. So I was going along to the best of my ability. I mean, I, you know, I, 
I functioned, let's put it that way. As long as I had my fix every couple of hours, as long as I was near 7-Eleven so I could get a Coke Slurpee or Dr. Pepper Big Gulp regular, of course, not diet and eating lots of treats, candies, cakes, cookies, pies, and ice cream. They were vegan, but they weren't healthy. I mean, I functioned. I was able to keep a job. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, like that I had to, you know, sell my firstborn to get my drug because sugar, sugar is like the best drug if you're going to be an addict because it's so cheap. Anybody can be a sugar addict, you know, be an alcoholic or a drug addict. You might need some serious money but hey a dollar can buy a whole day's worth of addiction <laughs> absolutely yes and it's available for all ages you can you know you can be two years old or younger and get your fix right Absolutely. And, you know, one of my uh, favorite people in the addiction space, Dr. Frank Sabatino, says that food addiction, sugar addiction, it's the only addiction that you can just do in public and everybody else is doing it, too. Like, you know, if you snorted cocaine, I mean, yeah, sure, I'm not talking about going to a Hollywood party, but, you know, if you went to, you know, Disneyland, for example, and started snorting cocaine, they would probably arrest you and kick you out of the park. But you can eat all the crap they have, you know, those ice cream bars that look like Mickey Mouse and all the caramel corn, you can do that. And it's perfectly normal because everybody else is doing it. So it's really the only addiction where there's, I mean, nobody admonishes you for it, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, and, and unfortunately it's one of the addictions that you can, that's actually visible, like, you know, because obesity and, and sugar addiction, food addiction often go hand in hand, not always, but often. Often. Yeah. I mean, I was, I suppose, lucky enough not to become obese with my I, um, my sugar consumption. I hesitate to say addiction for myself, but, uh, you know, certainly for sugar consumption. But I mean, it, it it's visible and sugar consumption in society all over the world is not only accepted, but encouraged. And when you don't eat sugar, that's frowned upon. Oh, yeah, you're extreme. You're so extreme, you know, and you're, you're a problem. Oh, we have to do something special for you, like maybe give you fruit for dessert, you know, like it, it, you're right. It's like we're the odd ones. You know, it's like if you don't drink alcohol, it's like, you know, it, it's almost hard to have a social life. Because, you know, yeah. you're, oh, you're, you don't drink, you know, it's funny. I know people that when they have stopped drinking alcohol and it's not because they had a judgment about it, but often they had a certain type of heart disease where they actually had to quit drinking alcohol. They lost all their friends. Yes, it's crazy. So, so in your own life, you said, you know, the first 43 years of your life, you consider you addicted to sugar and you consider that it was seen by yourself and everyone else around you as being completely normal. Did anyone actually use that word addict, uh, addicted or addiction? No. And that's the, that's the sad part. Cause if they had, maybe I could have gotten treatment sooner. As a matter of fact, I, I remember in my early twenties, because I had a lot of blood sugar issues. Well, of course, if you eat a sugar and flour, you're going to have unstable blood sugar. And I remember I had to get something called a, a glucose tolerance test. It was a six hour test where you go in fasting. And then every hour for six hours, they test your blood sugar that you drink this sugary syrup. And it's a little bit longer than just the regular blood test that tests your blood sugar. And I remember saying to my doctor, you know, I really think I have a problem with sugar. I can't stop eating it. I think I'm a sugar addict. And, you know, he had diet, diet Coke on his desk. He goes, oh, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. And then I remember the prep for the test. I think it was like three days before you had a really carbohydrate load. Like you had to eat an egregious amount of, of, of refined carbohydrates in preparation for this test. And that involved eating like an entire birthday cake and, and like, and I could do it. And it was like, this is a great test. I wish I could take this test. I mean, I didn't feel like, I mean, a part of me thought like, well, this is kind of weird that I can eat a whole cake. But then part of me was like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like the doctor's telling me to eat all this sugar. So no, nobody said anything. I don't think anybody knew. And, you know, 
it's very hard if everybody's doing it for somebody to say this is wrong, right? You know, if everybody's smoking, can you imagine say, hey, you know, you shouldn't smoke? Because like you're, you say, it's insidious. Processed food, refined food is everywhere. It's socially acceptable. It's at every soccer game and PTA meeting and every hospital vending machine and, and cafeteria. It's easily affordable, as you know. I mean, any country, it's very, well, some countries, it's actually more expensive. In the United States, it's very, very cheap. And it's it's socially acceptable, easily affordable. It's readily available, twenty four hours a day. You know, Seven Eleven used to be open seven to eleven. It's not anymore. You can get it all the time. And what I don't understand, and I really don't, and nobody has ever been able to answer this for me. Like people have the right to eat what they want and sell what they want, and I understand that this type of food is sold in stores that sell food. But why are they selling M and M's at Petco? Dogs do not. Dogs are not even able to eat chocolate. Why are these candies being sold? at the, the hardware stores, at the fabric stores, at the craft stores. Could somebody please explain that to me? When you're going in to buy, you know, I made, I made these earrings, for example, when I'm going in to buy the beads, like I, I have to have a Snickers bar. I, I don't I don't understand that. I really don't. Well, I mean, I guess because they sell is the easy answer. Yeah, and they always, and the thing is, is they put them at the register too. It's not like you have to go looking for them. You know, those impulse buys, they always put the most calorically dense, hyper palatable craft right at the register so that it's like it's right in your face it's like almost like you have to buy it yeah totally totally agree and so when you were kind of consuming all this sugar the word addiction never came up and you said you know you felt did you just felt fine with it or what, at what point I, you know, did I didn't feel fine I mean it's hard it's it's, it's such a dark period of my life it's, I didn't feel fine in terms of that I knew there was something wrong that I had to keep using so in other words I I, I did feel that, that that there was something wrong when on days that I couldn't even get out of bed it, my I had to send my husband for the slurpee I knew there was something wrong with that you know some of the days I had enough energy to get out of bed and get to 7-Eleven myself but Sundays I'm like I just needed my fix just to function so I think deep down I knew something was wrong but there was no treatment there was there was no discussion of it it wasn't until I was in my 50s that I started researching this this was 10 years ago that I realized there were people that acknowledged this and that's when I met people like Vera Tarman and and learned about that and it's, it's, here's the thing is it's it's only for some people not everybody I mean there are people that can eat sugar moderately and not have any consequences either in terms of their health or their weight like my husband but he does he eat it every day no but but he, but he could, he doesn't, he, he knows that it's not really a health food, but if he's at a wedding and there's a piece of wedding cake, he can eat it and he doesn't have to eat the whole cake like me. See, that's the difference. I think of people that are addicted or not, it's like, how much do you have to use? And I think part of the problem is, you know, sugar didn't start out to be in every single processed food in the grocery store. If like you look at the history of sugar, there's a wonderful book by William Duffy called, uh, Sugar blues, I think it's called. Yeah. And, and sugar was a condiment, you know, like, like, you know, even though salt is also can be a problem for people too, you know, with salt, you can kind of add it yourself too, right? You can find food without salt. And if you need a little salt, you sprinkle it on top. Well, that's how it started out with sugar. It was like a condiment that was sprinkled like curry powder, right? But now it's in everything and it's in high, high doses. And it's in places that it doesn't have to be. They even put sugar in cigarettes as if cigarettes aren't addictive enough on their own. Why are they putting sugar in cigarettes? Baby formula. See, this is what gets me is that the processed food industry is so evil. They knew what they were doing. So they get you from cradle to grave. 
the poor mothers that are unable to breastfeed and have to use formula can only find formulas with high amounts of either corn syrup or sugar and all other kinds of crappy things in them. So they can get you with the sugar, fat, and salt. And then when you're old and in the nursing home and can't eat food, they give you something called Ensure or something similar, sugar, fat, and salt. It's like they got you going in and they got you going out. And and, and it's the amount too. People don't realize like if they buy most jarred tomato sauces, we think, oh, this is pretty healthy tomato sauce. There's more sugar in a serving of most jarred tomato sauces than in two Oreos. They hide it in things that aren't even supposed to be sweet. Like you can understand an Oreo is a cookie. Yes, it should be sweet, but they're putting it in things. They put it in bread. They put it in almost every product because it makes it more hyperpalatable, more addictive. And then the chances you're going to like it more and then you're going to buy it. And they try to get you as young as possible so that you'll be a customer for life. And they purposely go into communities that don't have as much money or access to healthy food and addict them earlier. It's really, it really, I just don't understand why somebody hasn't blown the whistle. I mean, people have tried like Michael Moss, but nobody's really done anything. There hasn't been like in terms of cigarettes, like a class action lawsuit because the, because people that are killed by food addiction and sugar addiction are killed so slowly and insidiously over time. Yes, yes. And I think at the beginning of his new book, uh, Hooked, Michael Musk did describe, you know, at least uh, one person who tried to sue like McDonald's or the processed food industry, and they got caught up in all the technicalities, you know, because you can't prove that every single person will get addicted with sugar. Right. But not every single person get addicted uh, to alcohol either. I mean, and I, listen, I've heard of people that can use cocaine occasionally. So that's true that not everybody can, can be addicted, but, you know, maybe at least put warning labels on it, like with alcohol, you know, sure. or cigarettes, you know. Sure. And it's not even recognized by the DSM-5 either, is it? Um, not yet. But I think I think eventually it will be so that people with this problem can at least go in and get the medical care. But it's like you, you're talking about changing an entire system in the way. I mean, it, it, it's mind blowing. Like if you go into any grocery store, there are so many items in a grocery store and these products compete for shelf space as to how high it is. And, you know, eye level, you know, because like when you're the mom's pushing the kid in the basket, that's the space they want. So the kid can scream if they don't get that kind of cereal. Right. So if you take away every processed food with sugar, you're going to be left pretty much with the produce department. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you, you know, know you're, you're vegan um, yeah. and sugar is 100% vegan. Yeah, most sugar is. A lot of people don't realize, though, sometimes cane sugar is filtered through animal bones or char. But you're right. Most sugars, you know, people, they, oh, coconut sugar, agave, it's, except for honey, which isn't vegan. You know, maple syrup is vegan. It doesn't mean it's healthy, especially in high doses. And I think par part of the problem is the dose, because if sugar was really being used as a condiment, you know, like two teaspoons a day or something, if you know, for ostensibly for people, it, it, we probably wouldn't be in the situation we're in. But look, if you drink a soda, you're over your daily limit you know uh, because i think what is it they recommend the american heart association american cancer society says no more first of all they say it's not even a prerequisite like nobody needs any processed sugar at all or, or processed flour any any refined carbohydrates big difference between refined and the unrefined yeah but if they do it should be no more than five percent of your total calories well figure you know most women unless you're really active you need about maybe 1600 calories a day okay let's just say 2000 so five percent would be Okay, so 10% is two, that's 100 calories from sugar. So we're talking like five teaspoons. What the heck are you going to eat with five teaspoons of sugar? You're not going to get a whole can of soda. You're not going to get a whole piece of a, a 
conventional dessert. So it's really impossible to meet those guidelines for most people. Yes, if you're eating processed foods in general. And then, as you were saying before, and it's not even sweet foods necessarily. I've had many people tell me, I don't actually eat that much sugar. And then when we break it down together, they realize, oh, wait a minute, it's not just sweet foods that have A, added and hidden sugars, and B, as you were saying, for flour, well, that's metabolized by the body pretty much exactly. like sugar is. Oh, man, man, you know, like you say, first of all, like salad dressing, they, there's so much sugar in commercial salad dressings and in pretty much every condiment, even mustard. I mean, like that, that doesn't make sense to me. Like ketchup and ketchup is pretty sweet on its own because like, I make ketchup. You don't you don't need sugar to make ketchup. But like you say, like with bread, you know, you can almost convince most people that sugar isn't healthy, whether they continue to eat it or not. But you you touch flour. Oh, people freak out because, yeah. you know, bread, after all, it's the staff of life. We break bread with people and you tell people well you know this pasta that you're eating this this bread it's not so healthy they they, they like they, they look at you like you have three eyes like you, you know how dare you because and 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 again you know bread can vary too i mean you know one could argue that for some people you know like a, a stone ground ezekiel bread may be okay but you know what you know wonder bread you gotta wonder is it even bread you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> absolutely now look aj you're a chef right mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just a regular consumer who doesn't happen to eat sugar and flour and, you know, sweeteners and is jolly happy doing that. But I'm far from being any kind of chef. Now, what is the connection between your lifestyle and your freedom from sugar and being a chef? Well, I became a chef actually after I realized I had a problem with sugar. So it's really, I didn't aspire to be a chef. I actually wanted to be a veterinarian, believe it or not. Instead, I joke, I became a vegetarian. But what happened is when I got this diagnosis of pre-colon cancer and they weren't able to remove the polyps during the regular routine outpatient procedure, because my colon was so, as he said, dirty and in a state of disarray, I would have risked infection if they tried to remove them that way. And the doctor said, you're going to have to have like regular surgery, like the kind where you get general anesthesia and they cut you open. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I'm so afraid of that because I had an allergic reaction once as a teenager and I'm just deathly afraid of that kind of thing. And so I went to the Optimum Health Institute where they didn't actually use the word addiction, but they basically said that everything I was eating, even though it was vegan, was inflammatory. And that's why I was sick. And that, you know, whole foods are not inflammatory, but processed foods, sugar, flour, caffeine, those kind of things, oils that I was eating, these were all inflammatory foods and disease can only exist in a state of inflammation. So I went to this place and the food I ate was terrible. (laughs) I mean, it was very healing. It was basically like a healing diet. It was like juices and like raw foods made like, you know, salads. And I mean, it was wonderful for healing, but it was like, I didn't think I could stay on this forever. And so I said, if I'm going to have to eat like really healthy, you know, because as a vegan, you can have the worst diet in the world because soda pop and French fries, cotton candy. And now with all the vegan processed foods, they didn't exist 44 years ago, by the way, I said, you know, it's going to have to taste a little better. And so I took a leave of absence from my job in uh, the fall of 2003 to go to culinary school. So I didn't actually aspire to be a chef. I was just trying to find a way to make the kind of food that was healing me and that I knew would keep me healthy, taste better. And then one thing led to another. And then, then when I learned that food is medicine, I'm like, well, gosh, I, this is what I want to do now. Ah, food is medicine. Who'd have thought? 
Well, actually, although there's no actual evidence that Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food all those hundreds of years ago, it's not a new concept for us to just feel better with real foods. And as much as some foods, in air quotes, like sugar and flour, which I actually don't grace with the term food, although these types of products, let's call them, can actually make us sick and cause things like inflammatory diseases, weight gain, and lead to conditions like type 2 diabetes, the opposite is also true, that real foods can actually make us feel better and even reverse some conditions and prevent us from getting sick in the first place. Now, that's a pretty controversial thing to say, but actually, it shouldn't be. What Chef AJ is talking about and what I talk about on this podcast, it's not rocket science. It's not even advanced nutrition. It's just real food. And if you're wondering, yes, but what's left to eat when you cut out sugar and flour from your diet, then I invite you to head on over to my website, aftersugarclub.com and to click on the tab what to eat to watch the short videos there that answer this very question. And speaking of sugar and health, you can also download your free simple guide to getting more energy and feeling healthier with less sugar. Go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab simple guide. You can also get more tips on my Facebook page, Life After Sugar, as well as daily inspiration on my Instagram account at My Life After Sugar. That's where I post pictures of what I do, what I eat, you know, Instagram stuff to inspire you to see that it's totally possible to live an active and fun life after sugar. In other words, even if you don't eat sugar. And you can also check out the Life After Sugar YouTube channel for more tips, inspiration and recipes. And if what you need is support and accountability and guidance to live your life sugar-free without feeling restricted and like you're denying yourself or on a diet, then come join us in our monthly membership, the After Sugar Club. You'll be with other people who are also on the path to living sugar-free, who understand your challenges and your wins. Go to aftersugarclub.com forward slash club and join us today. All right, let's get back to my chat with Chef AJ. Do you work as a chef in an institution or a hotel or do you give like private lessons or how okay this is kind of funny because i i don't work as a uh, as a chef in a restaurant anymore i did up until 2011 and you're gonna laugh when you hear this i was a pastry chef which is the worst kind of chef you can be if you're a sugar addict or a food addict but see, <laughs> yes. I, I had not completely understood the the, the degree of the disease then and and i, I realized that I, I was very fortunate because in 2011 my first book came out that was 10 years ago and um 
as at the same time, the restaurant that I had worked at for five years, the owner wanted to go back to his country of origin and he sold the restaurant. And so I wouldn't have had a job there anyway. But then when I learned about food addiction and talked to some of the experts, they explained that for somebody that's a recovering food addict, even though I was abstinent, to be working as a pastry chef was like the worst idea. They said that would be like having a, you know, a, an alcoholic work as a bartender or, okay. or having having a fox guard guard a hen house. And so I haven't worked as a professional chef in that capacity for 10 years, but I, I, I teach cooking classes. I write books. That's I, I give lectures about health and nutrition. So that's that's what I've been doing the last 10 years. And I find and I work with people, you know, people with with, with food addiction, sugar addiction, especially those that are trying to lose weight, especially older, older women that are perimenopausal, postmenopausal. And one of the one one of the biggest tools in my tool belt is abstinence, which I'm a fan of, but not too many people are. <laughs> yes, it's it's a bit like we have this kind of message that how wonderful it is to be sugar and flour free. And what people hear is, oh, I'm just gonna take away the foods that you love the most. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing, you know, with alcohol. It's, it's so interesting because, you know, there's so many people I know, well, I don't need any sugar or flour, but they drink alcohol. And how is that not sugar? It's the same thing. It's just a different form. But it's like, oh, you know, don't take it all away. You've got to leave me some kind of comfort food or drink. Well, but, but you know what? The thing is, is unfortunately, those quote, comfort foods don't make people all that comfortable for the most part. And when you are abstinent, you can learn to fall in love with a, with healthy food. And that can be just as comforting. How much of a challenge is it for you to teach people how to cook foods that don't include sugar and flour and alcohol? Oh, my God. Well, it's not for me because I've been eating this way for so long. And all my cookbooks, I, I call it sofas free because it's sugar, oil, flour, alcohol, salt. It's free of anything that's potentially addictive for people. Well, actually, there's a few other foods that for some people, they can be trigger foods. But because I've eaten this way so long and because I worked at the True North Health Center where that is how they feed the patients. For me, it's not hard. I think the hard part isn't the teaching of the cooking. It's getting people used to eating food without all that stimulation. You know, sugar is 1800 calories a pound. So it's a has a high caloric density when you compare it to foods like vegetables and fruits, which are one, two, 300 calories a pound. And what a lot of people don't understand is that this neurotransmitter that gives us pleasure, dopamine, it's released anytime we eat food, but the higher the caloric density, the more dopamine is released. That's why people love sugar, which is 1800 calories a pound and flour, which is 1500 calories a pound. They like these high calorie foods because they get more dopamine and to give them these less stimulating stimulating foods, they may not feel as good for a while. And also they may have to go through a period of detox, which nobody wants to do. But when they can get to the other side with that, the foods that I eat, I mean, like I talked to Dr. Carmen about this all the time. We joke about Brussels sprouts are like, they're like candy to us. I mean, they're so good, but I could never say that while I was in the throes of addiction. I mean, I would never, I mean, just the smell of them would nauseate me, yeah. but there are cooking methods that make food taste really delicious. Like like people like, oh, I hate vegetables. Well, of course you hate vegetables because they only have a hundred calories a pound. You're not getting high from them like you are from all the foods you're eating, but you roast them. Maybe you put a little mustard or balsamic vinegar. I mean, I, I, I can make food taste really delicious. And I, I know that because I've, I fed it to like quote regular people. Yeah, no, I believe you totally. And it's true that at the end of the day, it seems to me that it's not actually about the food itself. It's about how people relate to the food. And if they relate to the food that 
you know, food makes them high. And sometimes you were saying yourself, you don't even realize it's making you high until you come back down to earth again. But if it's like people won't let go of those sugar flour foods because they represent that high to them, that comfort and all those other feelings. And that's what they don't want to let go of. Right. And they don't even realize that sometimes the drug is no longer making them high. It's just not making them low. You know, it's sort of like if you think of cigarette smoking, I don't think any smoker will tell you it's so pleasurable to smoke. But what happens is not smoking causes withdrawal. And that's extremely uncomfortable. And so I think that happens a lot of times when, you know, when people are really severely addicted to food, to sugars, to these refined carbohydrates, they're not using to get high anymore because they've, 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 they've habituated to this and they're using just to not feel bad. And so that's the thing. And it's a process to get off these drugs and not everybody is willing to do it. I mean, there are people that cannot go a day without fill in the blank, coffee, chocolate. I mean, they can't, I mean, you know, it's amazing that people can do Lent for 40 days because what well, with Lent, they're usually picking one thing, you know, they still can have all the other stuff. So it's maybe not as hard, but it, it is very hard. And the, and the withdrawal is real. It doesn't always take a long time for people, but it's, it's, it, people don't want to feel uncomfortable. That's the problem. Yeah. And that's totally understandable. And did this happen to you, these withdrawal symptoms? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, uh, yes, that, that's how, you know, it's an addiction because like, you know, if somebody said to me, I couldn't have Brussels sprouts anymore. I mean, I'd be like, Oh shoot, I really like them, but I would just eat another vegetable. Right. But I wouldn't go through withdrawals, you know, right. But with sugar, Oh, for, for sure. I remember the uh, July 6, 2003, it was a Sunday. And I took the train from Los Angeles to San Diego because I was going to the Optimum Health Institute for a week to basically detox. And I knew that if you were caught with contraband there, they would kick you out and they don't give you your money back. And I'm a frugal person. I'm like, I've paid all this money. I'm going through this, you know, as difficult as it is. And I remember telling the cab driver, take me to 7-Eleven because I knew I couldn't get out at once, once, once you're in prison, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And so I remember buying a Coke Slurpee and a Dr. Pepper and like drinking them very quickly and then going in. And it, it was really hard because I got headaches, you know, I mean, actual physiological symptoms from getting off sugar, headaches, sweats, nausea, diarrhea, all these things. I mean, my body was in shock for several days, at least three or four days. By day six, I was really starting to turn the corner. By seven, day seven, I felt amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then the emotional, the crying, I mean, like I was crying. every day I could get through the day. This is the funny part. I don't know how funny it is, but um, I, just like a lot of people I know, I have I know people that are alcoholics, but they function. They function all day. They do not top a drive to work or home with any alcohol in their system. They do not touch alcohol at work, but the minute they get home, they drink until they go to bed and then they repeat the process. Well, it was the same thing for me. I could get through the day, you know, because I knew what was waiting for me at home in the freezer at night. And so the program at Optimum Health, it went basically from seven in the morning to nine at night. And I did okay. And then nine at night, we had, you know, free time and then go to bed and they didn't let you have phones, but there was a pay phone you could use. And I remember calling both my brother, my husband and my sister just crying, please pick me up. I can't take it. You know? And all I did was like, think about food, like, like, like all the food, like when I get out, I'm going to have this, there's this pizza that I liked at this restaurant, native foods, and I'm going to have this. And I, I mean, I didn't do it, but that's all I thought about. Like, you know, it was hilarious when I, oh think my that. goodness. Isn't that fun? It's, I mean, it's not funny, yeah. but it's really reminiscent of, yeah. of dry out centers 
You know, right? well, that's why I don't want and see like when people say, oh, don't you ever have a treat? Well, define treat because something that was obese for 50 years that now has been easily slender for 10 years, that has a calm, stable brain that is no longer craving any of these foods. See, to me, that's the treat. And because I know how bad the detox is, that keeps me on the straight and narrow because I don't want to go through it again. I'm like the cat that burned their paw on the stove. No, thank you. It is no food is worth going through that again. Oh, totally understand that. Totally. Yes. And it's, it's inspiring because you put yourself in a situation, you willingly and paid for it, paid good money to put yourself in a situation of this detox and withdrawal symptoms, knowing, did you know it was going to be temporary? What do you mean temporary? The, the, the detox? I didn't yeah. know anything about it. I didn't know that I was going to detox. I didn't know what I was getting into. Thank goodness. Because I, I, if I knew how rigorous it was, I might not have signed up. But the reason I went really was because when the doctor told me I had needed surgery, I was like, ah, I got to think about this. I need to, I need to take some time off and just think about what I'm going to do. I just very, was very lucky that that's the place that I went where I realized, no, I don't need surgery. People heal from this because I did, by the way, after eating the way that they taught it up and health six months later, I went back and had another, uh, a sigmoidoscopy and all my polyps were gone and the doctor didn't believe it and accused me of having surgery. So I didn't, I didn't know what it was. Luckily I'm a very adventurous person because if, if somebody had told me what I was going to go through, I'm like, nah, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. That sounds terrible. But uh, the one person that I knew that went, she said, oh, it's great. You know, she didn't tell all that stuff. She said, oh, you're going to meet all these people from all over the world. And there's this class with this psychologist doctor, you know, like she, all she did was talk up the good stuff there because there was a lot of good stuff. The classes were fun. I learned a lot. I met people, very interesting people from, I mean, they had, uh, you know, movie, there were movie stars there. There were pro football players. I mean, it was a very interesting place, you know, to go. Wow. So she talked about all the good parts. She didn't say how terrible. Well, of course, at that point, anything would have tasted terrible. When you're an addict and you come off your drug, I mean, nothing they could have given me other than, you know, sugar would have tasted terrible. But the food, I bet if I went back there now, I would love the food, you know? Yes, yes, I bet as well, because your tastes definitely change over time. Yes, it does. Would you say that you were kind of, your body had given you no choice. It was either that surgery where they'd cut you open yeah. or get off of sugar. Right. I didn't. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, that's kind of what I thought because I, I, I would do anything to not have surgery, even eat right. I, if, if I have a true phobia with surgery, like true, because I almost died from an anesthesia when I was 19. And I, to this day, I just, I can't, I just, you know, I like, I like I'm 61. And like, I, I always think like, God, I would love to have a little plastic surgery, you know? And I'm like, then I think about the anesthesia and I'm like, mm -mm can't do it. Too scared. I, I have never gotten over that fear. And I've even tried something called cognitive behavioral therapy, but it can't work for something like that because I have to confront the fear by having anesthesia, which I'm not going to do. Obviously, if God forbid, you know, life and death situation, I'm probably not going to have a choice, but I'll do anything to avoid that. And that's really how, you know, what happened. So it was actually kind of fortunate that it happened. Yeah. Because I don't know. I could still be eating sugar. You know, it's funny. People don't realize like, there are so many benefits for going off of sugar that you don't realize until you go off. And, and, and when I say sugar, I mean all the refined carbohydrates, sugar, flour, alcohol. And one of the things, and of course I couldn't have 
predicted this 20 years ago when I was starting my journey is it because I've, I've been doing YouTube for like 11 years and I look at my videos now and it's like, I look better. And I don't mean that like in a braggy narcissistic way, but if you just look at my skin and the, I know it's because of not having sugar, it does not make you look good. It just it doesn't sugar and alcohol they age you they 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 cause cellular damage they really do and this this condition that my skin is in now eating whole foods and not having sugar it's like i i don't understand how my skin can look better at 61 than it did at 41 yeah you're like the benjamin button yeah. of sugar yes you're getting younger as you as you age it's amazing you do look wonderful thank you well that's why i tell people for no other reason you know because well, i'm not overweight so it's not a problem well that's fine but do it for vanity because it's amazing the difference your skin, you know, and it's not just the not eating sugar, but like, remember, I didn't, one of the biggest problems was, is that I wasn't just eating sugar as a food group for 43 years is I wasn't eating any fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And you can't be healthy without them, in my opinion, especially vegetables and especially green vegetables. And I think that makes a big difference too. Yeah. And that's the other thing I learned. And this, this could be a, a good tip for your uh, listeners that maybe aren't wanting to go all the way, but maybe want to have some help with the cravings. I think the biggest antidote is eating greens. And I learned this by accident, but I found out years later, one of the reasons they're so effective, especially if you eat them early in the day, like as part of your breakfast, whether it's in a green smoothie or having some steamed greens, whatever you eat for breakfast is greens, especially the cruciferous ones, the dark green leafies I'm talking about. They have a compound in them called thylakoids, which actually, it just stop cravings for sugar. Don't know how they do it, but they turn off the hunger drive and they, they're like miracles. And so, you know, when people are going to binge on sugar, or maybe have binged on sugar, have a green juice, eat greens. It just stops the cravings in its tracks. It's incredible. Amazing. Amazing. AJ, um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, a couple of ways that my website is my name, Chef AJ, chefaj.com. And there's a little thing you click and then you can write to me. But I do a YouTube show every single day. I haven't missed a day in a year and a half now. And it airs live on YouTube at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Also streams on Facebook, but YouTube is the best place. And that's 11 a.m. Pacific time. And I'm like right there every day. So you can see me, you can talk to me in the chat. And that's one way we can connect. Fantastic. Amazing. Oh, thanks so much for talking to me. Really wonderful. No, thank you, Netta. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Uh, what a great conversation with Chef AJ and goes to show that you don't necessarily have to be a chef to eat healthily. And we don't necessarily all have to be eating in the exact same way to be healthy either. I think the takeaway here is that the common denominator is real whole foods, which automatically means the exclusion of sugar and flour. And for some people that can also include alcohol. But for the rest, I think the message here is to play around and see what suits you. A little bit of trial and error goes a long way. But one thing's for sure, Chef AJ feels and looks so much better without sugar and flour in her life, and with lots of real whole foods. Okay, she eats vegan. I certainly don't, and you might not. But that's not the point. The point is that there is a whole sliding scale of healthy eating patterns for us, and you may find yourself anywhere on that scale, 
But unsurprisingly, sugar, flour and processed foods are not on that scale. And if you're wondering, yes, but how do I live day in, day out without processed foods? What do I do with all these real whole foods? How do I make them into meals that don't take hours and hours to prep in the kitchen? Then come join us in the After Sugar Club because this is what it's there for, for real life with real foods for real people. Go to aftersugarclub.com forward slash club and join us today. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate it and scroll down and leave a review and let me know how it's inspiring you to make your life more sugar-free. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that it appears magically in your podcast player every Sunday. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.